0: The giant thinkers. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm Ram Castillo and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives and giant thinkers. Hey guys, this is episode number six on the Giant Thinkers podcast. Ram Castillo here unleashing a very unique guest for you all. He's a physical education teacher that has leveraged emerging technologies to shape new age teaching. He's created over 100 online products and services. Over 60 of those are actually mobile apps and he's won numerous awards worldwide for those. He's even... Presented internationally, running workshops in over 30 countries for the last six years. He blogs regularly about his experiences on generating an income online and even has a podcast of his own. The topics we talk about include what it's like growing up in country Victoria, Australia, having an entrepreneurial mindset, the birth of the PE Geek blog and brand, and the journey that followed to monetization how he found a niche within a niche, his biggest tip on taking an app idea in your head to making it available in the market, the biggest mistake when creating a product, the best tool to plan and prototype, how he's creating deep relationships with his audience, and so much more. I am over the moon to present to you a gentleman who truly walks the walk and follows through the hardworking and successful Jared Robinson, also known as the PE geek and founder of the teacherpreneur.com. Jared Robinson, welcome to the Giant Thinkers podcast, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Thank you so much. Um, now, we should start with an icebreaker question. I usually start with a little icebreaker question. Uh, with your background in physical education, what sport do you feel is the most mentally, emotionally, and physically challenging? Ah, that's a really good question. Um,
1: I mean, I am sort of a purist in many ways, and I grew up competing in track and field and athletics. And I think fundamentally... Those, that sport, you know, those series of, you know, events sure, yeah. sort of have a, have a place in all sports, if that makes sense. So that's my go-to, I think, you know, I reckon that having learnt that when I was younger, um, I sort of had a foothold in other sporting endeavors. So I think about that as being, you know, at the core root of sports and sportsmanship.
0: Yeah. Right. So what are we talking here? Like the, uh, the running, the, yeah. uh, the jumping and yeah. yeah. I mean, if you think about it,
1: the, the, they make up most of what sport is. Um, you know, I was a big AFL Australian rules football player. And, um, if I look back to the things I learned in the track and field days, um, there's lots of parallels and I actually had to use those skills in the game of football as well. So I, you know, I look at it as the, the seed that basically
0: led the foundation for lots of my um, ability and knowledge at the moment. Yeah, mate, that's really cool. I uh never thought of it that way actually, but uh now that now that you say that, yeah, it's uh If you I mean if you if you
1: want to pick one sport, let's say you had one sport to to teach to a young kid and you know for whatever reason and and they're not sure of what they'd like to do, exposing them to something like track and field definitely sows the seed for any future um sort of
0: endeavors in any other sport. So it's a really good base. Mate, that's really really good insight. Um now you you mentioned uh if, if you were to, to teach someone um, starting out. Now, now, pointing the question to you, for where are you from and how did your childhood look like and, and smell like when, yeah, you, when um, you grew
1: up? I grew up in country Victoria um, in Australia. So in a small town, you know, not very big, about two hours from Melbourne, um, my childhood was very active and it sort of leads down that path of me being involved in sport, and then eventually having some sort of connection with it um, as a PE teacher. And yeah, very active, very, um, you know, I look back now and think there was lots of things that I did that were sort of entrepreneurial as well. Um, You know, selling, selling things out the front of my house and, um, you know, looking for jobs everywhere I possibly could. So in terms of a smell, um, it would be it's sort of hard to to paint the picture, but it, it has to be full of activity and whatever activity smells like that would be it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> awesome. Just like uh, one of my one of my best mates, who's uh, uh, had a, a long standing uh, record in in the ice hockey industry, and um, every time I go to his place, just y- you can smell the ice hockey gear, and uh, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> you could tell he's uh, either just come out of training or just about to go into training. So, uh, mate, that's that that, that's that cool. would be it. Yeah, like like an old football bag with old um. Wet gear in it that's <laughs> that's it you can't you can't fake that I guess can't, that's no that's it so you mentioned you 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 sort of started selling stuff when you were a kid or, or had that entrepreneurial yeah, I mean, mind like
1: I, I mean I only really thought about it recently, but you know when someone was telling me their story and I realized this is pretty similar to me as well um in in that I was out you know selling flowers and making potpourri so You know, I'd gone through Mum's garden and got them and learned the process. I'm not even sure how, but then walked around the town and and sold these. I think people bought them out of pity, but um, the whole mindset when I was sort of 10, 10, 11 and 12 with my younger brother, you know, definitely had this sort of flavor to it. And then as soon as I was almost able to get a part-time job, I was already out looking for... Um, people, even though I wasn't at the right age. So it, it's sort of in me all along. And um, looking back now, I sort of realized that. Yeah. Do you, do you think your parents had a part to play in, in that direction? Yeah. I mean, they definitely encouraged um, all sorts of forms. So I mean, I guess there was my dad had his own small business. So I guess he has, you know, entrepreneurial tendencies as well. And um, the only difference between me and him is that, you know, I've sort of exercised mine in a space which allows you to amplify
0: it being the internet. That's unreal, mate. Yeah, I um, I'm kicking myself now. Actually, we, we had a lemon tree in the backyard, and mate, it was one of those really old lemon trees that just bloomed every time it was the season. And uh, now, when I every time I grab a lemon from the shops, I'm just kicking myself, thinking, hey, I could have could have made a killing with the <laughs> with the Absolutely. lemon tree. But uh, I didn't really uh, think that way until until uh, after high school. So um, yeah. that, that's really cool that you had that at, at the very beginning. Um, now let's move on to. Uh, the the thing that your uh, expertise lies in uh, can you can you describe to those listeners who aren't familiar about about what you do um, and I'm sure after this podcast they will be well aware of what you do but uh, where does your expertise lie?
1: I mean uh, it has to be in the classroom so I mean fundamentally I am a physical education teacher and um, and that's pretty much what I trained as um, but aside from teaching phys ed I also learned how to teach information technology and that was because of my interest in the area as well so that included you know web design and just stuff that i could teach to students um not you know not you know high quality stuff but i always had an interest in that area and eventually going out and teaching in that space i had the understanding of how the internet worked and how you could sort of build with it and create with it and i also had my interest which was physical education and i smashed those two things together in 2008 and authored a blog um, of the you know the name the PE geek and um, it was all about how to use technology in phys ed and I was the first person doing that um, in that exact niche and um, it was pretty contrarian at the time you know not many people believe that it was used for um, benefit and that really enabled me to create this authority um, and expertise around it so whenever someone talks about you know wanting to use technology in PE. They look at me, and that's um, because I was there first, and I've had the most experience using it.
0: Mate, I'm, I'm glad that you re- that you brought that up. That really uh, is a is a hugely important uh, subject matter. I think uh, owning the space in, in the market um, and really harnessing on a very um, specific audience. It's niche within a niche, mine. Yeah. So
1: it's not just phys ed teachers. It's 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 phys ed teachers who happen to have interests in um in technology and, and want to explore how that can improve learning. And every year the audience does get bigger because you know more and more PE teachers they want to explore these things or they might get given technology and unsure of how to use it. So it's small,
0: but it's it's growing, which mm. is exciting. And and putting this into context, how how long ago was it since you started the PE geek and, and this entire brand?
1: Well, it was in 2008, I started the blog, but back wow. then um, it was literally a hobby. I mean, I was blogging about my ideas and I didn't really monetize it or have any thoughts about monetizing it for about three years. So it sort of gradually progressed from then and, and sort of since 2011, that's when it's been really sort of um, focused on that, you know, this is something that people will pay for and, you know, if I put up good content, Um, they can, you know, expect to get more from it. And it's a, it was a mind shift that happened around 2011. Yeah, that's fantastic.
0: I'm glad that you, uh, you stated, uh, and measured the years in, in, in monetization. I think, uh, it's, it's not an overnight thing. (laughs) Um, no, it's
1: definitely not. And going back now and, you know, looking at other niches that I'm part of and, and trying to be you know, be true to how, how the PA Geek stuff started many years ago when it was, you know, just me trying to be helpful. Um, that was definitely the key to its success. And now when I'm in these new niches and I'm trying to, you know, look at how they could be monetized, um, it's, hard, it's sometimes, sometimes um, you know, easy to lose sight of the fact that you need to be helpful first mm. um, and not trying to monetize too early. And I see that a lot. A lot of people thinking about how much money they could make with something before they think about how they can be helpful.
0: Yeah. And so just um before we move on to the next question, I, I just want to talk to you about that fusion, how you, you said you smashed the the PE um education, uh personal education and then the the um the technology together. Um how how did that sort of um from from the insight of that and how it could help others who were in, in the same boat, how did you sort of visualize that into the market? Did you just think or I, you know, let's just try this, and if I fail, I, I'll tweak it and and go down that route. Or did you have a very clear plan? No. Well, everything that I do um, and blog about, they're things that
1: I've done and used in my own classes. Mm-hmm. So it's always been done in a reflective process. Um, so literally, it was me reflecting on what I had done and used and worked and and had success with, and then people found that interesting and applied it in their own settings. So it's really organic in that. Um, it was based on my own experiences mm. and it continues to be. And that's partly the reason why I, I stay in the classroom because um, my experiences become pretty powerful um, ways to explore the things that are happening.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, mate, you, uh, you, you and I have very similar ways of thinking. I think when it comes to uh, creating and producing uh, valuable content, um, that in that, you know, the ideas come from uh, you being the customer. And I think
1: yeah, and I I am my target group. I am my own avatar. Yeah, Um, you know, I am creating products and services for me, um, and because I am so deeply ingrained in that avatar, then you know they ultimately already apply to people as well. Like if I'm creating a workshop, it's geared around what I would want if I was in that same
0: boat. Fantastic. Yeah, it goes to that quote, doesn't it? Um, That very well-known quote: (laughs) uh, "Scratch your own itch."
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: yeah, that's cool. So uh, on the topic of technology, um, as we all know, um, apps has become now a very uh, everyday uh, tool that people use, um, obviously, with the accessibility of smartphones and uh, mobile internet overtaking desktop internet usage. Um, what excites you about technology moving in into the future?
1: Oh, there's plenty of things. I mean, the abundance of mobile is is, is exciting. Um, as it gets, you know, more affordable and so on, um, it's just going to open up even more doors. But I'm excited by um, the fact that we're getting to a space where it doesn't necessarily matter what device you're on. Um, you know, every, you know, it used to be <clears throat> much more important, but now it's sort of agnostic because mm. of the internet and because of browsers and. Um, you're getting similar experiences regardless of what platform you're on. I think that's pretty exciting. It's only going to continue um, and sort of all cloud-based stuff excites me. You know, the fact that you don't need to have software on your machine, you can do it all in the browser is pretty cool. Um, and that's only going to continue. But I think most importantly in my space, um, the whole wearable technology stuff is is really cool. So. Um, You know, everything from fitness tracking right through to just quantitative analysis of your day, Mm. Um, you know, just happening automatically just because you're wearing a watch or a band or, you know, there's some massive potential there for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I mean... Just the sheer data and what you can, uh, uh, how you use that data to dictate. Yeah, I mean, data is pretty key
1: to you making changes in your life, and unless Mm. you have that data, it's pretty hard to make that change. So we're going to have all this data set that becomes um, opportunities
0: for us to teach or to you know reflect on what we're doing. So that's cool. That's fantastic, mate. Um, I wanted to dive into the uh, amount of apps. That you have. How many apps do you have at the moment?
1: So in the App Store, if you search um, for my name, you'll find that there's over fifty. Um, but at you know at, at particular markets, I have some that you know aren't listed in all stores and so on. But um, overall, it's over sixty apps, and I have had more in in um, the years gone by and sort of sold those um, for f- profit. You know, flipped them and and all that sort of stuff. So. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's evolved since 2011 when I built my first app and, um, has definitely been a really fun learning process.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I'm just, uh, looking at this now. So you've got the, the, the PE geeks, geek, geek apps, which is, yeah,
1: that's, that's pretty much the the development company, development company.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, how long has it been since you released your, your first app?
1: It was two thousand and eleven, and it was after that mindset shift that you know I was sitting on a platform that had potential opportunities to monetize. And around that time, that's when the iPhone really sort of exploded with um, applications, and um, the masses tend to get a hold of it. It was a little bit before that, but that was the real big sort of up by up, you know, the uptrend. Mm. And um, I released an application for it was a free one, but it was for um, students who were studying a specific senior subject. And um, just the sheer volume of downloads got me thinking that it would be good if it were, there was a paid app and I got the same amount of downloads. <laughs> and that led me down that path of, well, how can I build something that, um, that people would pay for? And then I started thinking about all the problems that PE teachers had and started checking those
0: off and building solutions for them. No, that's really cool. So um taking a step back from from that type of thinking, did you have any background in app design and development? I mean, you, you said you had an IT background prior, um, but yeah, how, how did you go so, about I mean, the IT, that?
1: The IT background was more about teaching um, information technology. So if you think about a student in year 10, what would they do in an IT class? That was my you know, sort of expertise. Um, no more than that, really. Sure. Um, so in terms of, you know, getting to the stage where I realized that I wanted to build an app, yeah. I knew the sort of, I knew the, the language that I needed to sort of converse in, um, in terms of the programming languages and so on. And um, it was literally a matter of me communicating what my goal was with that solution. Um no more than no more than that really. And then finding a space where I could communicate and find someone who could bring that to life. Yeah. Um so background wise is pretty limited. But I I tell you what, it was, it was a big learning curve. And um I look back to what my original sort of um job proposals were and they were pretty pretty terrible. Um, you know, (laughs) what I was asking people to do. Um, but over time they've they've become
0: a little bit more focused that's for sure yeah um, what kind of barriers or common misconceptions did you have um, that, that you think most people have from creating an app? I think people get too way too strung up on the fact that it needs to
1: be unique. Mm. Um, sometimes unique is good. And I mean, there's, there's a few examples where people have stumbled on something that's truly unique and it's been truly revolutionary. Um, But, you know, even, even some of the the apps that we all use daily are not unique and they weren't unique. I mean, if you think about Instagram, um, there was so much photo sharing that was going on prior to it coming out. Mm. They happened to do it in a new way that improved the user experience. And all of a sudden they've got a pretty successful app. So I think too many people, Sit there and think, you know, I've got a unique idea. This is this is going to, you know, be really great. But in reality, maybe that unique idea is, um, is is <laughs> never going to work, right? Because a, you haven't got an established customer um, group there or anyone who's shown interest in that before. So it's sometimes risky to go after unique ideas um, because, it, you know, there's no one that you can sort of push it out to. Um, that's not always the case, but it has definitely proven to be um, the things that have applied to me for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can, I can relate to, to that. Um, in, uh, when what w- w- would have been, I think 20, 2011, I started a uh, social media company Yeah, and, uh, didn't work out. Uh, you know, I tried to, um, make it, uh, a little bit m- uh, more niche without me having the research, and uh, or the, uh, the backing, I guess that, um, yeah. that Facebook and Twitter had already had. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, if you take something as simple as an ebook, um, which, uh, or, or a regular book, actually even a printed mm-hmm. book, which you can sell obviously on Amazon, um, who print on demand. Um, and depending on the content and and the brand and your, your influence, you can actually, um, uh, make a bit of money on, on something as as simple and traditional as that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I just think people do get way caught up on the, mm. the whole unique idea thing and and it stalls them from actually acting on an incremental gain somewhere else in a yeah. proven space where, you know, there are customers and people who are already paying for something. Um, that's probably been something that I've learned over time. And um, you know, my most successful product at the moment is something that has plenty of other sort of similar analogs um, out there as well. And, um, it's proven that yeah, it's about your marketing and your focus and how you can how you can niche it down or improve on the other one.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Can you tell us a, um, a bit more about uh, your most successful app? So,
1: <clears throat> the most successful one at the moment is is a web based app, and it is um, designed to work in the browser. It's a video analysis platform, so that if you're teaching any sort of physical skill, you can record footage and compare people side by side. Um, there's plenty of similar products that do this, but none of them did it in the browser. They were all mm. sort of software-based or mobile-based. So, I mean, a unique idea would be um, going and trying something completely different. But for me, it was how can I reiterate something that's already been and proven to be successful mm. and um, make it available on the in the cloud so that anyone can use it from any device, and and that way, it's it's definitely been successful. I targeted at my niche which was obviously schools and Mm. it's proven to be really useful um for people in that context and then outside of that historically the the number one app that i have is a um, iphone app called easy portfolio um which is which is a mobile based and android based app and that's yeah that's had over half a million downloads um to date uh which is which has been a really good sort of you know um realization that this stuff can go to
0: scale. What what does that particular app do?
1: So if you think about when you were going to school and you were bringing home learning samples, so you might draw a picture for your parents and they stick it up on the fridge. Remember that? Yes, absolutely. Mine it's were everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's wrapped around that concept. So it's a portfolio where a teacher curates content for the kids in their class. Um, and you know, not just pictures, but it can be videos and audio and sound and all that sort of stuff. And then, um, you send that home so that you end up with this, um, you know, really digital collection of, of their learning evidence. And it was, yeah, the first time that I'd won awards with it and, um, was probably the first time where I'd taken it a little bit more professionally in terms of the design and so on. That's awesome.
0: Now, um, what I wanted to ask you, um, about All of this uh, app creation is the topic of the design aspect Um, two areas in particular the first being designing the user experience uh, as we refer to as the UX and the second is designing the user interface which is Mm -hmm. uh, as we know as the UI Um, how important was it to design the user experience first and and how did that assist in directing the user interface
1: yeah I mean so I think it's fundamentally pretty important. So uh, it's not something that I learned first. I mean, there's, if i go back to my first examples. It wasn't something I really considered first either. And I made lots of mistakes and I'm, I had to pay for those by redesigning those apps to um, be a little bit more um, focused on user experience first. But knowing what I know now, it's pretty much the first thing that gets considered, you know, how is someone going to use this? And it comes back to that avatar for me, like I put myself in the context of being a teacher in that you know who was would potentially use this and what do they need from it and how does it how would it be simple for them to use mm. and making sure that that is checked off first before we start doing anything else um so the experience is pretty important and, and it's based heavily around um my role as someone in that situation
0: yeah yeah that's that's a great uh, reaffirmation i guess um in, in terms of uh the thought process Um, in terms of bread and butter programs or or tools that you recommend in in the app creation process um, whether it be creating wireframes or even prototypes uh, yeah have you got any recommendations pen and paper
1: awesome seriously (laughs) I mean I've used tools before and I mean things like mock-ups um, which M-O-Q-U-P-S dot com um, mm. that tool simple and balsamic as well. I know I've used that before, um, and I used to use a an application called um, on the iPad called App Coder or something like that, which lets you build you know wire wireframes that are actually usable on a mobile device. But mm. in the end, I have had the most success with just getting out a piece of paper, you know putting my ideas into that and then going from from there into the design process
0: yeah, and maybe mate, having
1: someone else piece it together.
0: Mate, I couldn't agree more. I think um, the beauty about the uh, pencil and paper or pen and paper is that you're not limited by... Uh, anything
1: really? Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, I've, I mean, sure. There's some things that you can't do. It's not as easy to share. If you make a mistake, you have to sort of start again if you want it to look sort of great. But a lot of people get too hooked up on I, you know, specific tools and and it sort of causes them to stall a little bit. And you know, sometimes it's just easy to get that first quick idea out onto paper and then and then think about what you can do with it from there. The app I was talking about is App Cooker. App Cooker. Um, yeah, it's an iP- iPad app and it's got all the elements in it and you can use it to create some pretty impressive um, mock-ups. And I mean, I have used that with success. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I've just gone down the whole pe- um, piece of paper and, yeah. and pencil and and had some success with it and find it simple, straightforward and just focusing in on, in on what um, I need to focus on, yeah. which is the user experience and the design. Like the, the other things that are less important.
0: Yeah, I think... Um... Regardless of how much you spend on on the uh, pencil and paper um, portion of the process, um, I think it's just the best way to start. Regardless, um, absolutely. And then obviously we we can use um, other tools and apps, as you mentioned, um, yeah. as a, as a next step. Um, now. Sure. I'd love to pick your brain on practical tips to becoming a successful entrepreneur. Um, And I know that there's so much content about entrepreneurship and, um, and creating a business out there. Uh, I mean, you for one have created over 60 mobile apps um, and, uh, as you mentioned that, but some, some of the listeners might not know that you actually have plenty of eBooks on the market, uh, which help PE teachers with activities. You have e-courses, websites, a podcast as well of your own. <laughs> um, and, and you hold workshops too, which you're, you're about to leave for overseas. And, and so you're a busy man. Um, th- this, uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, it doesn't happen overnight, but apart from apps, how did you go about building these other areas of your business?
1: Um, they've always they've always come back to that avatar you know what and the avatar is again like i said before the PE teacher the PE teacher who's just been given a piece of technology and has no idea what to do with it goes back to them and filling in the gaps about what they need so in many ways you know at first it was like you know or maybe an ebook that helps them experience you know success Um, maybe they could find some success with a video e-course and you know go ahead and create one and um, maybe there's a website that that could help them piece this all together so it's always based on them and what they need and the sort of um, best possible learning that could lead them to that particular goal yeah great so so I mean I think a lot of people focus in on the the greatest or newest thing that's come out so a lot of you know a lot of people are are dealing with webinars at the moment because they convert well and um but they're not they're not necessarily thinking about what is going to best serve their avatar their 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 intended audience um as the focus and and, and i'm happy in doing that because i am the intended audience so i know exactly what they have time to do and what they consume best
0: yeah and i'm I'm finding that with my own brand as well uh with giant thinkers um it's been up for uh about uh a little over two and a half years and um just thinking about the channels in which with which I communicate to to the audience that, that mm-hmm. do require this information. there are so many channels out there and and I guess every decision I make I think about what's going to be easy and convenient um for them in intuitively um mm-hmm. you know even with starting this podcast uh i was thinking about the pros and cons um about it and yeah the, the immediately um the first thing came to mind was it's just super easy to plug in your phone uh uh with your earphones rather to your phone and uh a lot of people go on the commute to and from work um or or even uh whether they're driving they can plug it in and and rather than, than listening to, to music or some, some garbage that might be on the radio, they can, they can listen to this. Um, and and so far it's been really well received with, with almost um, 3,000 um, as we're recording this, there's only been three episodes that's released. So there's already been over 3,000 yeah. listens, which is, which is amazing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. massive and that says a lot about the medium. The medium is passive
1: um, in that you can do it while you do other things. And I think with that, you pick up so many other potential people who, um, who maybe don't have the time to actively sit down and read a blog post or actively appear in a webinar. It's, it's, it's works on so many levels podcasting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I completely agree. Uh, now, uh, we, are just about to round off, uh, and, and, uh, finish up this episode um, with a couple more questions if you could travel back in time for 30 seconds and talk to uh your teenage self the uh the young jared robinson um what would you tell him
1: um i mean i think i would tell him to continue to harness some of the things that were in you know inside of me then um i think i for many years sort of shut them down, um, thinking that you had to follow a very traditional path. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with a traditional path, but um, the, the more time I have now, the more I realize that I'm more suited to a different, you know, a different way of um, living, which is, which is, you know, through this internet stuff and lots of different revenue streams rather than one main, you know, sort of revenue stream. And I definitely would tell myself to harness that um, in a curiosity and, Um, just go ahead and leverage it as much as possible rather than hiding it
0: yeah cool cool Um, now what's next for you Uh, Jared is there uh, anything that uh, we should know about I am pretty excited
1: about my upcoming six months so from um, tomorrow I'll be headed off on a workshop tour and I've been pretty fortunate to present in over 30 countries already so I'm heading off to do another 15 and that will sort of, um, enable me to, to travel for six months and, and, you know, have a bit of a holiday and a bit of vacation time and, um, but then intermingle it with, um, some workshops and face-to-face training. Mate, that's around amazing. my niche and my what, audience.
0: What, what, yeah, what be is cool. the, uh, the, the main, uh, sort of deliverable that you're doing for this trip, uh, when you say workshops, are you talking to PE teachers or, or what's what's the audience? So it's PE teachers. So running six, you know,
1: um, 20, six hour workshops in um, about 10, 11 countries. Wow. Um, and yeah, doing, doing as many of those as I can, then staying in that place for a week or so, and then heading off, heading off somewhere else. So, I mean, the days are great, um, you you know, charge on a per head basis and then have you a couple of expenses, but then most importantly, it's about seeing that location and, um, you know, helping those people while I'm there and then they become part of that online community. And because you have spent time with them face to face, it's a really deep relationship that you have with those
0: people and they go on to be your champion users. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine the brand equity that you're building with that entire uh, it's, journey. It's, it's quite powerful. And even though you can't really
1: scale um, as effectively in the offline setting, there's so much more um, you know that you do get in yeah. that personal one-on-one that um that really cannot be um measured.
0: Yeah, I mean just the sheer credibility um of that. And uh, we we were talking talking off air before this, and uh, I mentioned to you uh, over November, December, and January, I just uh, uh returned from my USA speaking tour and and visiting twenty-two cities in three months. Um, catching planes like I was catching buses was pretty crazy, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely worth it. Uh, and and when people people come up to you and, and I'll share you a quick story. Um, uh, it was in, in Washington DC and after the event, there was someone that came up to me and said, uh, said, Hey Ram, I don't know if uh, you remember me, but my Twitter handle is this and, uh, and you helped me out a couple of years ago, um, with some great resources. Mm-hmm. And, um, I drove uh, three and a half hours just to see you today. And I'm, I'm so glad I did. Yeah. That's awesome. So, that's mate, really good. Yeah. That, that was, that was something special, you know, and, and nothing could have ever, um, exchanged that, that moment. Um, now. Yeah. Uh, how can listeners get in touch with you online? I'm sure you're going to be very busy after today, um even more so, but uh <laughs> but is there any anywhere that we can contact you on social media or in any websites you want to uh listeners to lead, lead to? So people can go and check out the
1: which is I mean what we've been talking about for the last um you know half an hour or so, but yeah. I do blog about um sort of this entrepreneurial space and things that I'm doing. And I find that really um, enjoyable more than anything. And that's over at the teacherpreneur.com. Um And the whole premise of that website is sort of blending my teaching skills with this entrepreneurial space. And um, I think I've got a unique unique aspect there because a lot of these people in this entrepreneurial space are um, are teachers. So you can, you know, expect to see more of that sort of stuff coming down the pipeline from that space of how I do the things I'm doing, um, in, yeah, in, in
0: lots of detail. That's cool. So it's the P E And you've also yep. got, uh, teacher, uh, teacherprinter dot com, The dot com. Fantastic. Yeah. And then you can find me on social media and with any of those handles. Fantastic. That's uh, absolutely brilliant, Jared. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to have you on the podcast. I I really appreciate your time. And uh, mate, I look forward to learning more from everything that you're sharing and and creating. Thanks, man. Uh, Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Cheers, mate. There you have it, guys. I really appreciate every single one of you for tuning in uh, to this episode and the previous ones that I've released every two to three weeks when it goes live. With each episode, I myself am learning a ton about the podcasting medium and, of course, from the knowledge bombs each guest generously imparts to all of us. If you are enjoying it, and I really hope you are, I would love for you to be one of the first to leave an iTunes review. If you head over to the podcast tab on your iTunes Find Giant Thinkers and click Ratings and Reviews. You'll see the Write a Review button there. Currently, I don't have any reviews as I record this particular episode. It'd mean a lot to me and help me keep this show going if you write uh, how the show is helping you in any way. Now, on the next episode, the guest I'm bringing on is the creative director and principal of a very established design agency, He started his agency in 1991, so almost a quarter of a century ago. He has achieved over 300 international and regional awards under his belt. He has published 14 books, lectured extensively, and served on numerous awards. His design work is even exhibited in the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. Hopefully, that gives you a little taste of what's to come. Make sure you subscribe to the GiantThinkers.com mailing list and subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode. And as mentioned, it'd mean a lot to me if you could write a short review on iTunes. Until next time, wonderful listeners, I'm going to leave you with a quote that has inspired me uh, very recently by Ken Robinson, who said, if you're not prepared to be wrong, you'll never come up with anything original.